C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I learn so much about God's heart through my children. They are literally joy monsters. They are always about one second away from bursting out in some form of joy. They're quick to dance, they're quick to laugh, they're quick to sing, they're quick to play. And I first noticed this a few summers ago. We were vacationing in Destin, Florida at the beach, which by the way, is not a rest-filled vacation if you have small children. Um, the whole trip, Shari and I were on high alert and highly suspicious of the current and the undertow. Um, and so to take a break from the anxiety of the ocean, I took the kids to the hotel pool and Grayson wanted to work on his cannonball. And so I'm at the pool, tired from driving for two days to Florida with two toddlers in the back seat. And I'm really kind of riddled with anxious thoughts that um, this ocean's waves may scoop away my kids at any moment. And uh, seriously, don't take your kids to the beach if they're young. Uh, and while I was internally working through uh, my stress while trying to be on vacation, uh, in front of me, by contrast, God gave me this really this invitation to joy. Uh, Grayson, my youngest son, really wanted to perfect his cannonball, but he kept making a critical error. He thought that a belly flop was a cannonball. And so every time he would get out of the pool, go to the edge, he would yell as loud as he can to everybody, to the world, cannonball! And then he would jump in face first. And uh, not to be outdone, Hayden was quickly on his heels to do the same with the biggest smile I've ever seen on his face. And over and over they would do this. And I, along with all the other adults, would just sit there and laugh. Over and over they would yell, cannonball, and then you'd hear like the slap of their chest and their face hitting the water. They'd emerge with the biggest smile and then they would go and do it again. Joy is serious business in the kingdom of heaven. Now, something we're trying to experiment with since we're in you know, this pandemic and we can't do kids ministry as we are used to is, is just to um, provide something small and simple for parents to engage their children with. And of course, anyone can engage with this, but um, right now I just wanna give you a couple of questions, parents, that you can engage and um, talk about with your kids. Uh, emotions can be tough, especially while growing up in a pandemic as a kid. Sometimes finding joy in the midst of difficulty and transition can be tough as well. But always remember, kids, that Jesus points us to his joy by reminding us that he finds joy in us and he finds joy in you as a kid. When we find joy in serving others or loving our neighbors or spending time with him, he experiences joy as well. And so this week, as a family, before bedtime, or maybe around the dinner table or on a walk, maybe you could ask each other these three questions. First, what was one thing that brought you joy today? Second, how did you bring joy to someone? And third, did you enjoy God's joy today? Now, as we talked about last week, uh, love is one of the first fruits and evidences that God's Spirit is alive inside of you and at work inside of us. Uh, and that one is kind of obvious. We're familiar that God is not just a God of love, but that God is love, as the scriptures say. 
but today's A Slice of Fruit we're looking at is also an important evidence of God's Spirit living inside of us. But sadly, it's often uh, not associated with Christians or, were, or with followers of Jesus, and I think that that is just tragic. Uh, it, usually what I do is I try to find like a single kind of text in the scriptures to camp out in and to work out of. Uh, but today I'd like to try something different. I'd like to maybe just kind of take you on a holy romp through the Old and the New Testament and to show you uh, just how central joy is to our faith. And then we'll end by just asking one very simple question that I want to invite you to kind of chew on and uh, double click on and kind of sit with. Um, first, let's look at joy in Deuteronomy. Imagine that, that you can find joy in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 16, there's this crazy text where God actually commands Israel to celebrate three religious feasts each year. It's the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. It is uh, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. These are commanded by God. These feasts are commands. And it's really incredible when you think about it. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 11, he says, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Did you catch that? You shall rejoice before the Lord. What a commandment. And then he gives, um, he gets really specific on who should rejoice. And he says, everybody should rejoice, not just you, but your, your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants, the Levite, the sojourner or the foreigner, uh, the orphan, the widow, everybody should rejoice and, and feast before the Lord. And this is a command to worship with joy. And I think that is just so incredible and it's so kind of life-giving. And just in case he wasn't clear in verse 11, he repeats it again in verse 14 and 15 and expands just a bit on it. He says again, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, Levite, sojourner, fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns. Check this out. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because... The Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Now, moving on, we can go and see the joy in the Psalms, which is not very hard. The Psalms, which in Hebrew are known as the praises, uh, are amazing when it comes to this. Uh, did you know that out of all the Old Testament books that Jesus taught from and quoted from, he taught from and quoted from Psalms most often. Statistically speaking, we can say that the Psalms or the praises were his favorite book, and they should probably be one of ours as well. Psalms 9, 1 through 2 says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. Not because of circumstances, but because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. Psalm 32, 11 says, So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. 
Psalms 40, 16 says, but may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, the Lord is great. Psalm 68, three through six says, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Psalms 118.24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We could go on all day here just in the book of Psalms or the praises. Now let's look at joy in Jesus's ministry. Jesus's first miracle in Cana is an object lesson of joy. He's attending a wedding celebration and the wine has run out. And here's when he famously turns water into wine. The disciples later asked Jesus how to pray and they are much better than me. I would not have asked Jesus to teach me how to pray. I would have asked him to teach me the water and the wine trick because that would have guaranteed me an invitation to every party in the community. Uh, that's kind of why they were the disciples and I wasn't. John tells us that there were six stone water pots at the wedding and they were used for religious cleansing. Historically, they held about 20 to 30 gallons each. And on the high end, they held a combined 180 gallons of water. And if you run the math and convert the gallons of water to liters, then you get 681.3738 liters. The average wine bottle hold, holds uh, three quarters of a liter, 0.75 liters. And if you just run the math on that, Jesus' first miracle, he creates 908.5 bottles of wine at the end of a wedding when they're already drunk. Uh, this is over the top. Why? Why would Jesus do this? John calls it a sign. And you have to ask, what is this a sign of? Uh, many times after a miracle, Jesus preached the sermon to declare the spiritual meaning of the miracle. For example, after he fed the 5,000 with bread, he preached the sermon about him being the bread of life. And John doesn't record a sermon at the wedding, but perhaps he would have told people that the world's joy always runs out and cannot be regained. Kind of like the, uh, the, joy at the, or the, the wine at the wedding. But the joy that Jesus produces and gives is not only new, it's satisfying and it's extravagant and it's over the top. In the scriptures, wine is usually a symbol of joy. And uh, the world offers the best joy at first, and then things run dry, like the wine in the wedding at Cana. But Jesus offers us what is best and what's over the top and what is extravagant. And this is one example of, of joy being uh, in, it's kind of central to the teachings of Jesus. Another one would be um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus taught his disciples about abiding in him as a uh, branch abides in the vines. It's famous in John 15. In verse 11 of John 15, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's huge. You know, we're not looking to produce joy. We're just looking to um, accept and receive and take care of the complete joy that Jesus already has. 
Joy is a huge topic in Paul's teaching. Joy is a central ingredient to the kingdom of God. In one of my favorite descriptions of the kingdom of God, Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Most would associate righteousness with God's kingdom, but what a delightful surprise to see that also. Joy is an essential and defining feature of God's rule and God's reign, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, God is not a cosmic killjoy, as many believe. He is a God, not just of righteousness, but also of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace and joy are evidence that God has his way with you. Joy is a key sign of the kingdom of God at work. When you see someone or when you yourself are just filled with the joy of the Lord, it is a positive sign or evidence that he is getting his way with you. I had a friend who was a serious believer and was um, kind of a minister kind of in and out of, of the seasons. And uh, he was deeply serious about the things of God. And um, one of the first things I noticed about him was that he never laughed. He couldn't laugh. Um, and, you know, he never laughed at any of our jokes of, of our group or our church. And they weren't inappropriate jokes. They weren't crude jokes. They were actually really good, clever, clean jokes. And he would just never laugh. And, and other people noticed, like, man, what's up with this guy? He never laughs. Um, he eventually left our church early in the day and broke fellowship with us in a really um, heartbreaking way. Uh, and, and the reason, in his words, were, quote, you're not a real church. You're not serious enough about Jesus. At first, I felt bad for myself, and I wondered if he was right. I wondered if our church was legitimate or if there was a problem with me. Um, but after some prayer, I recognized the shame messaging that was coming and the lie of, of that shame message. And I, I kind of figured out that this was not, a, not about us. It was kind of about him. And, and I, I scratched my head, and I just I felt bad for him. Um, that type of faith has to stink. I mean, if you're not allowed to laugh and love Jesus, if you're not allowed to have joy and rejoice while following Jesus, I, I'm not even sure I'd be interested in that. I'm not really sure what Jesus he knows. I mean, as he met the God of C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. There's also joy in James's teaching. Uh, earlier this year, we studied the book of James, and he opens with, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh, it's one of the first memory verses I ever memorized. Uh, James offers us a new way to look at trials, pain, and suffering. Uh, is that they can grow us and they can benefit us. They can make us bitter or they can make us better. And for that, we should change the way we think or we should consider the way we think about these situations and rejoice because they will actually produce something good in us. Consider it pure joy. What is joy? Well, joy is not happiness on steroids, as many believe. Uh, joy is not happiness squared. Joy is that ever-deepening awareness that our lives are hidden in Christ and that we can be led by the Spirit through anything, no matter what it is. If, uh, afflictions, trials, pressures, frustrations may come, but they cannot 
and shall not destroy us. And because of that, we experience joy. We may genuinely hurt as 2 Corinthians 1.8 talks about. We may weep like Jesus did in John 11 when his friend Lazarus died. We may, underst- we may not understand uh, what God is allowing to come our way or why he's allowing it to come our way, as James speaks about. But none of those things can cause us to lose God. Uh, as Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, not height nor depth. Um, and for that, we rejoice when we remember the reality of this good gospel message to us. Uh, Stacy Eldridge just wrote a book on joy and called it Defiant Joy. I love that title. Uh, Christians should use joy as a way to defy and fight against the enemy. Joy can be a spiritual weapon. Uh, she says that joy isn't about singing in the garden all, all day. It's not even about a feeling. It's about coming to know God more deeply and understanding his character, goodness, and immeasurable love. Joy is the heartbeat of heaven. It's about acknowledging the reality of the world we live in, but understanding that death doesn't have the final say. It's a shift of our gaze. It's holding to the deepest reality that God reigns over the universe and that nothing is up for grabs. Every moment, we are faced with the choice to either be buried by what we see and have that be the canopy under which we live, or to choose to actually obey what we are instructed to do in the Word of God, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to choose to ask Him for grace in the face of suffering. Now, she references Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 there that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We often call the gospel uh, the good news uh, because it is news that above all is good. It produces joy. In Luke 2 verse 10, the angel announces the news of Jesus' birth by saying, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all people. Later in Luke, in chapter 15, Jesus gives what is considered the most compelling and accurate portrayal of God's heart towards those who are lost, and it's known as the Trilogy of Lost Things. And after the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the third part of the trilogy, we have uh, what most people call the parable of the lost son. And that's probably fine uh, because most of our emphasis is on um, kind of the behavior and the return of the prodigal son. Uh, But I am always overjoyed when I look at the picture of the father in Luke 15. 
Jesus reveals to us that God is like that father who runs off the porch at the sight of his lost son. He's a little too trigger happy, at throwing a party and celebrating. And the scene in Luke 15 eventually ends with the father on the back porch begging his self-righteous, religious older son to come inside and eat some cake. We see this picture of God uh, being really happy to rejoice and throw a party and to also even invite the religious to come to that party and to get over themselves. The reality is this. Uh, joyful people or, or people who have allowed the Holy Spirit to produce joy in their life, they don't allow misery or sorrow or sadness or even despair to rule their thoughts or guide their actions. And if the scriptures are right, and if joy is an essential ingredient and feature of the kingdom of heaven, then why is it that joy is often missing in our lives? Why are Christians and followers of Jesus often miserable and lame? They're not always, but sometimes they are. Here's uh, the question I want to leave you with, and I want to invite you to do some deep diving and discovery on. Is the joy of the Lord missing in your life? Is the joy of the Lord missing in your life? Do you have uh, the evidence of this fruit of the Spirit in your life? And if not, um, what's blocking the way? What's keeping the Holy Spirit from growing and ripening more of His Spirit in your life? Is there anything that you're doing that might be getting in the way? Have you kind of put God uh, kind of in the corner for whatever reasons? Have, do you have any limiting beliefs? Do you have any wrong beliefs about God or about yourself? Um, have you, for whatever reason, believed that joy is not uh, attainable for you? Yeah, it isn't attainable. Um, but you can receive it from God. There's nothing you can do to grow it. Have you forgotten the gospel? Have you forgotten the joy that you had when you first believed and when you were first rescued from yourself? Uh, are you aligned with the kingdom of heaven? Are you, is God getting more of his way in your life? Uh, have you welcomed the Holy Spirit in your life or are you scared of him? Or do you believe that he's retired? You know, uh, often we talk about God's love being um, kind of like, like water coming from um, a water faucet. And often in our life, uh, that water faucet is turned on, but there's like a kink in the hose. And there's like maybe just a little drip coming out. And the question isn't, um, is God's blessing coming towards you? Because the faucet's on. Uh, the question is, uh, either who put the kink in the hose or why is there a kink in the hose or how many kinks in the hose are there. And my plea to you is to look at yourself and, and ask, is there any kinks in my hose? Is, is there anything that's getting in the way of me welcoming and receiving more of the water of the Spirit on the soil of my heart? And I just encourage you to pay attention to that. Ask those questions. Take this to the Lord. Take this to your community. Take this to other people. And, um, and, and do the work of just surrendering. And that's kind of the simple key here is surrender to God. 
Um, wherever you are in your life, maybe you're not even a follower of Christ, I'll invite you to surrender to him, to surrender to this God of joy who wants to give you not just eternal joy later, but to give you joy right now. Maybe you've been following Christ for a long time. You've kind of gotten crusty. I want to invite you to come under the water of the Holy Spirit and to just simply pray, come Holy Spirit, and, and give Him fresh access. And to do as Paul said, is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And may God produce more of it in my life, but also in your life and in the life of our church. Let us pray. Abba Father, we want more, not less, of your joy. And we just uh, give you permission to come and to um, bring more of your presence. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to invade our church, to invade our community, to invade our lives and our families, and to have your way in us. Jesus, we just bring to you all of the burdens of this world. We hear your invitation to come to you, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and to um, lay our yokes and to lay our burdens and to lay our problems down before you and to take your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. We ask that you would give us your rest and that you would baptize us afresh in your Holy Spirit and in your fire and that you would burn away all the things that steal your joy. And God, we just ask that you would do whatever you have to do to make your joy complete in us. May the world know that we are your disciples, not just by our love for one another, but also for our joy that is uh, complete because of you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we close our time of worship, we are going to enter into a time of celebrating communion. And we have these available. We kind of uh, pre-bless them and pre-consecrate them ahead of time. And um, we are celebrating in our micro-gatherings today. But also, if you are home by yourself or with your family and you would want access to some of these, uh, please uh, send us an email. We'd love to coordinate how to get these to you. If you have these elements, I want to encourage you to um, grab them now as we enter a time of prayer and singing. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Abba Father, whose dear son on the night that he was betrayed instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life and who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever, Amen. 
Well, the gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.